Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? It's your boy Sleep here, and I got my boy Grizz, and we're back here with another episode of the Thrash Talk Podcast. This week, we got another burner. Grizz, tell us about it. Hell yeah, I'm super stoked to introduce our boy, Nick Gepper. He's a three-time Olympic medalist in slope style and a six-time X Games medalist. Four golds, two silvers. We were so lucky to get to link up with him after his first Grand Prix appearance in Pipe, right before X Games, right before his last World Cup appearance, where he took bronze. So super stoked we got to meet up with Nick. I absolutely love the guy. I've known him for about 10 years. He's an absolute legend. Let's go. The dude's crushing it, man. He's he's from the Midwest. He's bringing jeans back in style on the mountain. All the steez. Dude, he did the whole interview in his bathtub. <laughs> I'm stoked to bring this to you. I'm stoked for you all to see it. And uh, and we'll see you out there. You. Absolutely. You. We first met at the uh, Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs some years ago. And I didn't even know that Paralympic snowboarding was existed. And... Uh, Thank you so much for opening my eyes to all the Paralympics and all the cool stuff you guys do. I'm joining you today from my bathtub at my condo in uh, Frisco. Uh, my body is kind of sore. I skied half pipe all morning. So, yeah, dude, I could only imagine like going going from uh, you know slope style to half pipe. That's got to be a like a huge transition. I definitely want to get into that. Sleep is here as well. Um, I did have kind of something that I wanted to chat with you about, and it was, dude, that chicken parm that you made for us a little while back. First of all, thank you for inviting me over to dinner. It was amazing. I didn't know you were such a good cook. Like, is that your own recipe? Is that a family recipe? How did you uh, learn to cook? Is this something that you've always loved to do or you had to figure out no. as an adult? Uh, so I'm kind of like, um, like I, I actually don't like cooking, but it's, it's like oh. I don't like homework. But once I start doing it and I actually invest myself in it and you kind of get in the flow, it's super fun and you love it. And you're like, dude, I can actually do really good at this homework or really good at this meal. And I love getting people together. Um, I love like getting, you know, a bunch of friends together and just creating uh, like a, an environment for different people to meet each other or whatever. Like, I don't know. I kind of like being a host sometimes. So that's when the cook comes out, but that was like the easiest recipe, like first search result on Google from like all recipes.com or something. Um, but thanks for, I'll take the, I'll take some credit. Bro, you made it. I mean, it was amazing. I was like, Oh my God, Nick can cook. I'd never knew this about you. So I was, I was fully impressed and like fully pumped as well. Yeah. Thank um, you. Dude, you're the man. You're the man. Um, so yeah, let's dive into it. Like you said, you know, I kind of opened your eyes a little bit to the Paralympic world. You know, you and I met at the Olympic Training Center. What was that? The summer 2014 or 2015, something like that? Yes, it was. I don't know the year, okay. but we did meet around that time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you and I have a couple things in common. Uh, we both, both of our sports had their inaugural debut for you for the Olympics for slopestyle ski, me for para snowboarding in Sochi. Do you remember like hearing about your sport getting in and like what that was like? Can you take us back to that time? Uh, sure. So the time when uh, slopestyle and halfpipe skiing got added to the olympics was around 2012 and there had been a lot of talks about it you know for years and years especially after like snowboard pipe got put in and like what was it 1998 or something and then second time around in 2002 and then wow in torino and um so it was always kind of like why don't we have skiing in there too um there was always that question but my the, the the pinnacle of like the sport for me was always the X Games, and that's the only thing I cared about. And so when the Olympics like finally got added to the program, it was kind of like, all right, sweet, um, another event. You know, that's kind of how it felt. I know for probably a few people, it was like this crazy thing, but we had already had like an awesome established tour. Like we had the Do Tour, we had multiple X Games, we had Opens. Like the sport, the the sport was super healthy um, at that time. And so the Olympics was kind of seen as just an addition to everything else we had going on. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. So like for us, we were shooting for Pyeongchang originally. We were told no multiple times for Sochi. And um, about two years out, I got a phone call one night saying, hey, congratulations, your sport's going to make its debut in Sochi. You know, better get your shit together and get nice. ready. And so, yeah, so it was like a big moment for me because we were told no so many different times for Sochi. Yeah. Um, you know, likewise, you and I also have something else in common. You and your team swept the podium at the inaugural debut, and so did me and my team. What was that like for you? I know it was a bronze medal, but I always say you can't have a sweep without a bronze. Uh, That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a bronze medalist also, so I got to find something there. Yeah, yeah, no, that was cool. I get asked that question a lot because... I mean, like the Olympics in terms of the media is so on another level than any other event. Like it's the only competition at the time where anybody cared about national pride. I mean, in like the other events we had at the time, nobody really cared where you were from. It was like, are you good at this and can you rip? Um, so I think all of us had that mentality at the Olympics. We're like, Hey, like we're just with a bunch of guys from all over the world and we're just doing this competition. And all of a sudden, like when three Americans happen to stand on the podium, which is, was very common at lots of other events in the years leading up to that, the mainstream media, um, made it a massive story. And so then we kind of got like swept up in this, uh, American sweep um hype which like it i i had to like learn the significance of that um because i was kind of like oh okay um but then you know it hadn't happened since 2002 or and then like another like 40 years before that and like i'm really into history so i love like the historical aspect of it like making history that's super cool and the olympics kind of has its own little place in history um so yeah, it was it caught us by surprise, and we're like, sweet, we get to go on Dave Letterman and talk about this now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we didn't uh, get nearly as much attention for ours, but it's probably because we did ours like two weeks after you guys did, and so they're like, oh, it's just Americans cleaning house. What else is new? Um, or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, I like I remember watching it, and I was like. Like, I didn't even know you back then, but I was like, holy shit, this is so awesome. Like, I'm a history buff as well. So I always like those those history significance type questions just because, you know, it doesn't happen very often. Um, do you guys, did you guys normally like kind of sweep podiums at like World Cups and Grand Prix and stuff like that? Or is that like the first time all three of you were on the podium together? Not all. I mean, the, like at that time there was 10 Americans that could have gone to the Olympics and gotten on the podium, but they only allow four. So there was a, like a lot of other events. I mean, we pretty like we and the Canadians like invented free skiing. So um, it was not uncommon for us to dominate all the other events. Um, that's a shame. You guys didn't get more attention. Like, I hate to hear that. And I wish you guys did. I just had an idea. You guys should race and work cross but you should show your leg. Yeah, some like guys on do. TV, so people so people can see it and they understand. Yeah, well some people are have all of their limbs um and they're just kind of in that hodgepodge category with me, but um you know, some guys do show it and I don't know if it's to kind of show it off or if it's just ease of access to say the shocks and stuff that are in their knees and stuff. Mine isn't yeah. that impressive. I have, you know, I'm a below the knee amputee. So the socket, you're kind of like, is that a knee brace? What's going on there? Whereas like someone like my teammate Noah or Mike Schultz, those guys, they're missing their knee. And so they have this crazy, like, it almost looks like a drill rig apparatus attached to their, to their, uh, body, you know? But yeah, it's not I, a bad I, idea. Yeah, we. I always like we see. I always see you guys as rigs when we go to the parties and events and stuff, and it's always like extremely impressive. And it, yeah, dude, it's just badass. I have so much respect for what you guys do. No, I appreciate that. So I'm. So you guys did not meet prior to prior to Sochi. 
but Sochi was the first time you guys kind of competed alongside each other. I understand Keith, you're a week later. Um, how, how does that work? Uh, do, you guys being ski and snowboard, you don't train together, but I'm sure Keith, you've trained with able body snowboard border cross people, correct? And have you also trained with adaptive Nick as well, or is that not the case in, in your, uh, in your sport? Off snow. Yeah. Yeah. So they just transitioned the, um, Paralympic training center for snow sports to park city, Utah, where the, um, us ski and snowboard center of excellence is, um, which is, I think it's awesome because we have a totally new crowd in there. Like all the Paralympians are in there working out and different personalities, different stories. And it makes us way more interesting. And I'm a huge fan. On snow, like, we have different venues and stuff, so we don't cross paths as much. But I just think, like, crossing paths with different people is super important, not just for sport, but for everything. I mean, like, I loved meeting uh, Keith and Mike um, at Colorado Springs because, again, like, it just opened my eyes up to the opportunities that the – Paralympians have in the U.S. through like Paralympic sport and um, just the the attitudes and the you know the will to like make a shitty situation like not define your life but overcome it and all of that you know it's inspiring Um, you know I'm just a huge fan of like different meeting different people from different backgrounds call it diversity. That's exactly yeah. what it is, man. Diversity of thought, diversity of background, man. That'll that'll make a community stronger. That'll make a team stronger, man. So that that's really cool to hear. Uh, Keith, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, not at all. Not at all. I was just going to say, yeah, I always appreciate uh, getting to cross paths with other Paralympians or Olympians alike. And, um, you know, Nick and I have crossed paths quite a few times at competitions, you know, due tour and X Games primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's funny because even though I don't compete at X games anymore, my, my, um, uh, my discipline, my, you know, border cross is no longer a part of it. I still go cause I live here in town. Um, uh, but I've ran into Nick so many times at those types of events. And I will say like you run into a lot of, you know, pro skier and pro snowboarders. There's very few that are, that are nearly as kind as Nick and willing to outgoing and actually, you know, genuinely, care about your day you know every time i run into him he's like dude how's your day going because i'm like bro how's your day going he's like no no no. how's your day going what are you up to how how was your run and i'm like oh it was sick how was yours you know like um so i I always appreciate that about nick he's always like down to chat it up a bit and and just shoot the shit and, and not necessarily tell you about his day but wants to know about yours and and it's not it's not as common as you think it would be well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a there's a book about this. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I recommend it. <laughs> love the plug. Love the plug. Uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a question for you. And, and I know you've talked a lot about your, your childhood, small mountain. Yeah. I'm, fr- I'm from uh, northwestern Pennsylvania. I, sc- I, I grew up snowboarding on a peak and peak was the resort, uh, you know, 400 foot vertical tiny, probably very similar size to yours. Um, I had a crew that I rolled with that kind of made it fun for me. I grew up snowboarding with a group of guys. I, I know you've done trampoline work. You know, we used to get, strap our snowboards in, get on the trampolines together, flip, spin. Did you have a crew that you rolled around with as a kid or was it you just gung ho, man, I'm, I'm doing my best to become the best gear I can. And, and it's, it's me against the world. Or, or did you have like kind of a little, uh, a little group you rolled with? I love that you just said that, me against the world. It's been a bit of both my whole career. Um, I always, like, I have, ever since I was born, I have very, very uh, short attention span and and very little patience. And if I want to do something, I want to do it now. And I'm going to do it now. And, like, I'm sure my friends and my girlfriend, like, want to kill me sometimes. But that has, like, translated over into sports and everything I do. Where, like, if I want to try a trick, I'm going to try now. I'm not, like sorry i'm not gonna wait for you to like get to the lift so i you know i'm not gonna so it kind of like has bad side effects too um but like i ski i roll by myself a lot and then i also have a crew that i float 
in and out of like frequently. So it's like when I'm like totally tunnel vision focused, like I'm usually do my own thing. I'm solo. But if I'm like kind of more relaxed, like want to just um have a good time, like I'll kind of roll with some friends or some like some younger kids that I mentor. But like I just wanted to go, 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 like fast, 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 fast. And nobody, none of my friends or even family could keep up with my pace. Um, even though like if, if we were at the hill for four hours, like I very well could have skied and done the amount of tricks I wanted to do in that four hours and like relaxed while doing it. But like I wanted to do all my shit in an hour and a half just because yeah. that's like when my energy was high, that's like strike while the iron's hot. And um, I don't know. Sometimes I think it might rub it the wrong way. Um, you know, if I'll just like ski by or just like kind of got my headphones in, I'm just looking down or whatever, like trying to like kind of stay, um, which I've like gotten a lot better with lately. I'm trying to be a little more like open and a little more of a social butterfly. Um but yeah, I'd say a little bit about, I, I'd say I definitely wasn't like a complete, completely isolated and I wasn't a complete, like the life of the party either. I was just somewhere in the middle. Yeah, sure. Man, great answer. And, and I think leading into that, like dude, where you grew up skiing, it was hucking tricks. It wasn't riding that back country. You know, you, you didn't have that ability to get out there and just flow. Do you do that now? Do you, do you like, what's your favorite back country spot? Is there, is there a mountain? Is there a mountain you go to, you throw the headphones in and, and you just cruise? Yes. So my favorite back country spot, I have a few. Um, I just like my backyard in, uh, Salt Lake city, the Wasatch. Um, I love Idaho. Idaho is really great. California is really great. But I'm usually on my snowmobile, not going to lie. When I, no I started, I, I got into this like four or five years ago. I started riding snowmobiles and, um, and I fell in love with the sport of snowmobiling. Everybody always asks me if I take my skis with me. And I'm like, no, I, I can't. I just love the activity of, of snowmobiling and like motorsports so much. Like I never had one growing up and I've been a dirt bike or anything, but once I got, introduced to like a throttle i was holy shit i was so addicted and and then i was like okay i don't even want to ski while i'm on this machine but also it kind of gives me a nice break from skiing at the same time and i get to get out in the mountains and enjoy um the peacefulness of winter and like the snow and everything but i don't have to be like strapped into my boots like thinking about um you know and don't get me wrong like i love skiing like the, actually what i started doing this year is uh ski touring um and that's been super fun and it's also a way to just get away from the insanity of the resorts in utah these days just with tourists and all that so i'm not like the backcountry like hucking cliffs guy um i really i like the competition side of things um but dude i love getting out of the backcountry in different ways so yeah, dude, love it, man. Yeah, I I cannot agree more about the whole throttle thing. Like I, yeah, you know, when I was when I was younger, I had buddies who had like mopeds and stuff, and we go to jump them off of stupid dirt jumps and get hurt and stuff. And I loved it back then, but as I've gotten older, I've really fallen in love with you know just twisting a throttle, even if I'm just out ripping my you know my little nightster or something, and just mm -hmm. cruising one of the canyons. There's something about just raw power at your fingertips that Mm -hmm. can't really explain right yes it, i i just i got a motorcycle i've got an indian ftr i got it last year and people ask me how it is and i just can't i can't possibly say how awesome it is to like be to totally like expose on like an iron horse like flying up a canyon or something it's <laughs> if you're not that kind of person you're not that kind of person but if you are it's like dude it's so unreal like i love it i mean I, even now like i ride now in salt lake city like i'll make sure i warm up my tires really good but i'll go out and just go to the grocery store just because i love the freedom you know it's so fun so yeah are you a helmet or no helmet guy uh i'm a helmet guy for show i know it's not yeah. neat it's not mandatory in utah i don't think it is but uh yeah bugs dude they'll get you they just fly in your eye i guess you wear glasses 
but dude one day i was headed to the coffee shop like down the street from my house this was back when i still lived in utah and i was like oh, i'll just jump on my motorcycle and go down there real quick and i'm going down this like residential road i'm probably doing like 25 30 miles an hour nothing crazy and out of nowhere this bumblebee just whap right in my eye and yeah. i mean i saw it at the last second closed my eye and it didn't sting me, but I look like I got punched in the face by Mike Tyson. And ever since then, I'm like helmet and, and eye protection always, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, a helmet has so much more value than just like a catastrophic accident. It's like comfortable. It's less loud. Like, it, I don't know. And all that, like, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It actually, the, the noise cancellation of the helmet is actually pretty rad at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Um, Dude, so, you know, obviously we want to talk to you about this whole slope style to super pipe transition and everything. Um, not sure how much you want to get into it, but I always love to talk about mindset and that sort of stuff with folks. And, you know, you and I have a similar mindset in a lot of ways, like that whole ADHD, like go, 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 go. I want it now. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I love connecting with people and just seeing what makes them tick. And I'm so curious, like, we talked about it a little bit, but like what was going through your head after Beijing and like what made you kind of make this decision to kind of flip this switch where like I'm done with slope style? Can I ask that? Yeah, for sure. So I was, frankly, I was pretty over it after Beijing. Like le the year leading up to that, um, I was like, I know how to work hard and I know how to get shit done. And that's all I felt. I kind of felt like that's what I was doing, like leading up to that event. Um, and that's not a very, you can't sustain that feeling for very long before you start to, before bad things start to happen. So I knew that I wanted some sort of break. So after Beijing, I literally didn't ski the rest of the winter. I probably rode my sled like 40 days. And I was like, okay, like I made it to the end of winter without skiing. That's, and I'm fine with that. That's kind of weird, but okay. So that summer, I, I think I skied like a week at Hood. And then the winter started approaching and I thought, dude, I don't feel the same feeling of like, man, I want to get on snow, like skiing. Like I, di I didn't have that, that love for it that I have, you know, had when I was a kid. And I thought it was really odd. I started to kind of question myself a little bit um and then it was all all of a sudden it was December, and like the, the comps are rolling around like snow starting to fall and i was i still like didn't give a shit to be frank and um so i thought that the i, I just kind of was very analytical i looked at my career i was like i've had a pretty good run and i made a very like pretty dry like analytical decision basically it was very like unemotional um I'm done because I feel like to that is how I respect myself and my sponsors and the, my supporters the best is if I don't leave anybody hanging and have some closure and let them know how I'm actually feeling. So I emailed everybody and I was like, Hey, I'm not going to compete this year. I'm done. And we're just going to see what happens and see like where my feelings take me basically. And, um, some people were down with that. Most of them were like, okay, like you're not a valuable marketing asset anymore. Goodbye. And I totally expected that. Um, so most of my sponsors disappeared. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I probably had like 50 days on my sled that winter, just completely like having a lot of fun, but also like escaping in a way. Um, you know, like, it's kind of easy to get into some sort of addiction or something like that and like completely use it as a, as like a backdoor to like escape reality. And that's kind of what I was doing in a way. Um, but also like trying to stay level-headed and, and decide what, uh, what the future would hold for me. So there was one event I was obligated to do through Red Bull in Austria that February um, of the year following the Olympics. And I went there completely unprepared to compete or ski at a high level. But I just was like, I got to do this for my contract. So I went there and participated. And while I was there, there was this quarter pipe in the event. And I kept hitting it over and over again. And I was like, damn, this is like really fun, actually. This isn't a jump. It's not a rail. It's nothing like in a slope stop course. It's a quarter pipe. And a half pipe is two quarter pipes. 
And then I started thinking about half pipe and I was like, dude, what if I did half pipe? Oh my God. And I started thinking about like the, the story of it. Right. And I was like, dude, what if Gepper unretires, goes to the Olympics for half pipe, gets another medal. He's the American sweetheart. End of story. Like, I was like, that would be sick. Right. And, um, and so I started kind of thinking about it more, um, which led to some more experimenting in the half pipe later. But I, I want to make a point in that people, as I was thinking about like retiring from skiing or returning to skiing, people would always say this. They're like, oh, but you're young and you feel good and you've got time. Like, why not? You know, they would always say that. Like, you have the opportunity, so do it. And that sounds good on the surface, but it actually, if you think about it, kind of, I, it rubs me the wrong way because I think about it the opposite. Why would I do something just because I can? I've got to like love this thing and I have to be emotionally invested in this thing. It has to bring me more than just like checking a box because I can, you know, I thought about that a lot. People are like, Oh dude, if you can keep going, like, why not? I'm like, cause the way I'm currently doing it is making me miserable. Um, so after that, trip to Austria and like starting to kind of think about half pipe, I was like, I got really real with myself and I was like, I'm not doing anything for the wrong reasons or just because I can, you know, any decision I make moving forward has to be for the right reason. And I still am thinking about this today, even like while I'm skiing up there, I'm like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Um, it can't be for money. It can't be for holding on to any glory or like milk in a career or anything like that. It can't be for like trying to maintain this lifestyle that I love, you know, like it has to be because I love skiing. And so I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but my story continues and I'm happy to keep elaborating. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, I'm the same way. I'm all or nothing. Like, if I'm into something, I'm into it. If I'm not, I'm like, I pushed it as far away from me as humanly possible. But also, like, if I'm not into something, I don't just want to do it, like you said, just to do it. I want to do something because I love it, you know? And I've had, I've actually kind of fallen out of love with snowboarding and I'm in the process of falling back in love with it over the last couple of seasons. One of my big goals was like, I don't want to be burnt out. I'm still competitive. I still love the competitive side, but. I don't necessarily always love snowboarding and mm -hmm. how can I kind of reignite that fire? And so I've, I've, you know, go out and get my power turns first and foremost, spend as much time on the snow with my little one as I can yeah. and just like enjoy that process. And that's my mm -hmm. favorite thing actually is going out with my four-year-old and just ripping the bunny hills. I'm like, this kid's fucking crushing it. Like, I love that, yeah. you know, and recently I got into coaching uh, over here in, in Aspen and coaching the little the the groms and up to you know the u16 kids that want to learn more about racing so passing along the torch and all of these little pieces have really invigorated my my love for it again and um, cool. i just love that like you're that guy that's like i don't want to just do it to do it i want to do it because i love it and i'm so stoked that you found another avenue where you're not actually tied down to sponsors or anything right at this point you can be yourself authentic nick you know I, i've been loving the instagram and social media stuff that i've been seeing on there because i'm like now that's gap like the <laughs> gap where i know you know like yeah. i know you in a slightly different light right so i'm super fortunate to have that uh and see that finally coming out to the rest of the world right yeah it was skiing it's like it's almost like a it's like a girl like it's like you fall you fall out of love with this girl, but then you're like, wait, I I actually think I do love this girl, but how do I like fall back in love with her? How do I how do I like manufacture that love? You know, it's like yo, this should just be a feeling. Like it's just you know, it's like it's so it's like that weird thing between like especially when you do something ski or snowboard or like do something it almost you know it becomes a job you do it a shit ton and it's like it's it's more than just a feeling anymore it's it's it does have some sort of calculated approach that you know like you're actually inspiring me with like coaching and hanging out with the grom and your kid and all that stuff like because um because 
sometimes like viewing something through a different lens or multiple lenses really helps to helps you to recognize um why you started loving it in the first place there's a really great documentary um about like some of the greatest athletes of all time it features wayne gretzky pele and uh jerry rice and they talk about for some of these great athletes one thing that they all have in common is that they have a lot of time throughout their like youth and professional careers of unstructured play so no coaches no boundaries no teams nothing just doing something on your own and forcing yourself to creatively figure out how to do it with zero structure. And that really speaks to me because that's what I did when I was a kid. Like I didn't grow up with, with uh, anybody telling me how to do it. I just did it and figured it out. And that, you know, really got those creative juices flowing. And it's part of why I love this um, so much. So yeah, I love the concept of unstructured play. And like, what I love about working with the kiddos is they're just kids. They're just out there. Like I sit on the lift with a different group in a different group of kids that are within the group. Last uh, Sunday, we had 14 in this little micro camp I was hosting. And so I tried to make it a point to jump on the lift with different kids throughout the day and just ask them, like, why do you love snowboarding? And their answers were so just authentic. And most of the time I was like, I just like being out in the mountains with my friends or I'm just out hanging out, having fun. Sure. Like, what's your favorite aspect of snowboarding? Some of them were like, one kid was just like, border cross, border cross, border cross. I'm like, okay, I get that. Like, if that's yeah. what you love about it, bro, we're going to make you a racer, like straight up. If that's not what you love about it, let's cater to that. And along the way, let's put some fundamentals in there to make you the best shredder that you can be that can get you in and out of trouble. You know what I mean? Especially out of trouble, like when something goes south, right? Um, our biggest yeah. goal with that program is just making kids better humans. If they become rippers at the end of the day, that's a bonus. But hearing their authentic answers of like, I just like being outside or I like sliding on snow. I love playing with my friends that sort of yeah. stuff like it makes me feel young all of all of a sudden and i'm like oh my gosh like that's why i started snowboarding yeah. was because like you know i started on skis and this was back in the long straight days you know long straight ski uh -huh. days and snowboarding looked a little more fun and to be honest most of the kids around where i grew up were like alpiners and i didn't really get along with them they were kind of dicks to me so like you're telling, was, you're telling your age <laughs> i know i know if the gray doesn't give it away right um but i i ended up getting introduced to it by a buddy who was a snowboarder who was like do you want to go do you do you snowboard and i was like well i ski and he's like bro you got to try snowboarding and so you know i tell the story all the time but i saved up my first two paychecks and got a snowboard and went out and ripped with him and i had so much fun and i was like holy crap this is this is what i'm doing now this is what i'm into you know and that's you know, I ditched school to go snowboarding. I got in a lot of trouble because of snowboarding, but like I, I was doing all that, all that stuff because it's what I love to do. And so being around these kiddos, I guess, bringing it back, uh, they're kind of reminding me that on a day-to-day -day basis, even when I'm, when I'm coaching them in their training, it's like, we have to have this fine balance of like structure dynamics and all this other stuff, but also I want them to have fun. And these mm -hmm. kids, most of them are freestylers and they're like, can we hit the Makaha jumps today? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but you're going to absorb them the first five times. And then we're going to, then I'm just going to let you loose. And we had four kids that couldn't make it to the landing on the second jump, which is pretty decent size for, you know, a 12 year old at this point in the season. And by the end of the day on Sunday, every last kid was sending it to the sweet spot and a little deep even. I was like, hell yeah, this is what's up. But it, being yeah. around them just keeps me young and keeps me enjoying it as well and seeing their stoke. So for sure. Um, but I definitely get it. I definitely understand. Sorry, long winded sleep. <laughs> you look like you got something to jump in there with. No, you're good, man. I I love the enthusiasm that you get for it, and I love that that you're you're bringing it back, man. You're bringing that love of snowboarding back through your son through this, just like you said earlier, Nick. I wanted to go back to Nick, something you mentioned earlier about sponsorships and, and how that kind of changed. What are you going to do differently this time around? Um, you know, as you're looking to bring on new sponsorships or as you've brought on new sponsorships, are you going to kind of change your, your mindset there 
uh, from a sponsorship perspective? hundred percent. Um, so throughout the, the first, the first half of my career, I made enough money and invested enough so that I can survive right now and like pay for my career for at least a couple of years or a few, um, before like shit really would hit the fan. But the last like I don't know three or three or four years I just got like a really sour taste in my mouth for sponsors um and just being like just partnering with brands and not had nothing to do with the brands it had everything to do with me and my uh basically like apathy and I was comfortable like I was making enough to travel the world and pay for pay for, pay for everything and um and like if I, you know, worked hard and got on a podium or something, I could make some make a bonus to invest in a something or whatever. But um I began to start to fall into this trap of like working with brands that like I, there was one particular brand that I just got so tired of like the product itself. I was like, I thought this product was cool a few years ago, but I never I'm going to use this product. It's like, it's, it's a pain in the butt and I don't want to tell people to use it because I don't personally have zero use for it in my life and I can't relate at all. So, um, and that wasn't every sponsor, but just like one or two here and there. And, and I, I was just, I just felt like I was like just doing something for the literal worst reason to do it. And so moving forward, now that I sort of have a little more confidence to express myself, I people have been asking me like, dude, what are you, you going to like get some sponsors or like reach out to sponsors or whatever? And I just, I'm like, listen, I want to partner with somebody. If it's not making my own thing, it's partnering with a brand who wants to invest in me. Who wants to partner with Nick Gepper. Um, because I'm not interested in being a spokesman for something just for a paycheck of course if the paycheck is big enough i mean i'm just kidding sort of everybody know. you know ever there is there is that price though that can be life-changing that we all have to think about okay that is a reality um 100 but like honestly like unless someone's going to drop a, a life-changing amount of money in my bank account um to promote like some like tobacco brand or something um i'm partnering with brands that want to be a part of me and what i represent what i'm doing and i'm willing to hold out as long as possible and literally spend the last of my saved dollars to make that happen and i think that level of confidence is going to get me there so yeah i love that i mean everyone has a price right but at the end of the day it's like stick to your gun stick what's true to you and enjoy the moment for what it is and do it for the right reasons. Again, like you're not out there trying to promote brands. You're trying to be Nick Gepper and enjoy this next um, facet of your career. What, uh, what changed once, once you had to kind of relook at finances and stuff where you, did it throw you down this like rabbit hole where you were like, Oh shit, I don't really have money coming in. I got to watch, watch how I spend it or what, how did that all come about for you it, exactly um i'm a i'm a huge and not everybody's like this my girlfriend is not like this at all but i'm a huge believer in baptism by fire like you you would be surprised at what you are capable of when you have to and i've never been i've never i've never been more confident in expressing my personality and i've never been more confident in my finances until I literally didn't have a skiing career anymore and I didn't have anybody paying me a dollar. And it's funny, like when you get to that place where it all goes away and you're like, holy shit, I actually have to, I have to like look at myself in a mirror and create, I'm super big into economics, like create value. Like before I had no idea what my value was. I was skiing and like, I would, you know, do good in a competition or something and be like, okay, like, I guess I'm worth 92 points, but like this last, you know, year and a half or so has been such a insane, like eye opener for me, um, to understand like who I am and, and, and just like, 
add more meaning to what I'm doing. Um, you know, cause for, at a certain point you stop like just doing something like for the love of it is awesome. But then you start to want to involve more meaning. And that's something that I'm really passionate about these days is, you know, and I'm, I'm in my infant stages of like how I think I can positively uh, contribute to the sport of skiing and, you know, people that look up to me in general, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we all grew up with like idols and superstars that we just loved and changed our lives. And I hope I can be somebody like that person to somebody like a kid. Speaking of that, you, you touched on it a little bit earlier. You're mentoring young skiers. You know, how, how has that affected you? I mean, I imagine that's a mentorship is huge for both the mentee and the mentor. And it's really cool to see see or hear you doing that. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. I've had a little brother. Well, yeah, I have a little brother and he's awesome and he's a little punk ass and I love, you know, get, getting him under my shoulder, giving him a noogie and all that. Um, you know, but also I like, I love setting a, an example for my brother and, and like leading a life that I would hope would impact him in a positive way. Um, I've always loved skiing with people who are younger than me. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is that like my, this is, I think, unfortunate sometimes, but I have like very competitive personality and like, I hate competing like with my friends <laughs> in a way because it just gets in the way of our relationship. And so if I ski with somebody who's like younger than me, who's like on the come up, like I don't have to compete with them and I can just enjoy skiing with them. And it's, it's so and the other thing is that um, kids have, they're like, they're not corrupted yet. Like, it, it depends on how old they are. You know, if they're like sub 18, like, usually they don't care about money. They don't care about girls yet. They don't like care about anything, but just loving skiing or snowboarding or skateboarding or whatever it is. And they have, they have an infinite supply of energy. So when you hang around kids like that, like nobody's talking about drama all they care about is skiing and they never get tired and surrounding myself with those kind that kind of environment, I think has been so good for me. Um, cause it keeps me going. And then I can just like <laughs> teach these kids lessons I've learned and also, you know, kind of haze them in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go, man. Go ahead, Keith. I, I want to, I was going to derail, but I think you want to keep. Yeah, I'm going to derail as well. I was just going <laughs> to say, you, do you con do you constantly have the debate polls over no polls with them, or is that just like <laughs> just the, the media? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if if a kid was going to ask me that, and I'd be like, bro, if this is what you're worried about, like you're worried about the wrong things, bro. Like, go do a flip. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me see you do that before you wonder what's in your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, you hit on skateboarding, man. And I, I, I saw your setup. You still got the mini ramp set up in the backyard, man? I am, I'm in between backyard evolutions. So I sold the mini ramp to some rollerblade homies down the street, and I don't have it right now. But I will always have – it was a sick mini ramp. It was like 5 foot by like 20 or 25 feet wide. It was insane, dude. We sessioned that on – like I skated it, I bladed it and I BMXed it. Like we did everything. Um, and I'll always have a ramp at my house or multiple always like mandatory. Yeah. That was a dope mini ramp, man. I was watching some videos of it, man. It looked pretty sick. Uh, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't realize you skated as well. So it looked like, yeah, your transition game was strong, man. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I love, uh, I love it. Every, anything that slides or has wheels or has a motor, like I'm into it and uh, it's a great community. Yeah, that's amazing, on, dude. On the skate and blade side, did you went down and competed? Was it South America or something like that? You competed on blades a little while back. Yeah, what, I did the I did the world championships of park rollerblading in Buenos Aires, Argentina last summer. Sick. And how was that experience? Like, how awesome was that? Was it sick? Yeah, yeah dude, it was so awesome. Actually, <laughs> my parents went, and they're like. Nick, this is the first competition we've ever been to where we've worn flip-flops. This is so dope. You should do more of these. <laughs> <laughs> Love That's, it. How much of a comparison was it to, uh, say, competitive skiing? 
Uh, it's a good comparison. Um, you know, blading is in a, in a, it's in a, a blading, as you know, was very popular in like the late nineties, early two thousands, and then experienced sort of this downfall and hasn't really recovered. So it's, it's super underground and super niche. Um, and like the community is like so sick and, uh, and like just open arms. I thought that going down there and trying to like compete with those guys, like they might get offended. Um, but they were all so cool. And I think part of the reason is like, like, like nobody can make any money in that sport. So nobody like has egos and everybody just is happy to get like more stoke for the sport and more, more participation. So yeah, it was insane. And like some of the, there's some pros down there that I watched growing up that were still down there competing, like on the vert ramp. And I was like, Holy shit, this is, I was like a kid again. That's sick. That's sick. Yeah. We've got a little crew here in Aspen. Um, of of rollerbladers that were like no original well yeah like they they were big time well, i guess big time bladers back in the day and then they all kind of went to skateboards because they got shunned and harassed so hard i think but they're like they're in their you know 30s and 40s now and they're just like dude fuck, fuck it, it i want to ride what i want to ride yeah i'm gonna yeah, skate dude. what i want to skate you I, know yeah, I wonder... bro, that... go ahead i was gonna say skate culture as a whole, how, how does it compare to, to ski culture, snowboard culture? I feel like snowboard and skateboard culture are very different. Um, but how, how is skate compared to ski? Like rollerblade or skateboard? Rollerblade. I'm sorry. Rollerblade culture. Uh, I mean, they're both kind of, I don't know, like there's not even really a culture for rollerblading in the U S anymore, but, um, but I, I think like it's the, the one thing that I'm not a fan of in, in action sports is like, there's, there's like these stigmas that, that are real, right? Like kind of like um, Keith was just talking about like, dude, going to, going to a skate park on a pair of rollerblades in 2008 or 2007 was like gnarly. Like, I, I mean, it was not fun. People were like, mostly skateboarders and some BMX dudes were like, yo, you, you're, you're a expletive that I can't stay in this day and age. Cause like you're lame, you're love, whatever. And like, there's a, like, I don't, there's a lot of theories on like how that stigma came to be. Um, but <clears throat> it's like, I've always been sure. that kid that kind of did the thing that was a little not as popular. Like people always ask me, why I didn't snowboard growing up. And people still ask me, like they, they mistaken me for a snowboarder. Like my friends back home are like, yo dude, how's the snowboarding going? I'm like, I'm a skier. Thanks. I know like sometimes I throw up a shaka and say like stick and dope, but not all of us, you know, stand sideways. Some of us actually ride skis down the mountain. Um, and it's like this weird like thing, you know, I was, it's, yeah, it, it's like such an interesting social things but uh but anyways yeah that's like just a side note <laughs> like the 2008 comparison i always think of like if i were to go like down to the bible belt and like stomp on a bible or something that's like the same type of reaction you would have gotten in 2008 or whatever it's showing up on blades at a skate park skate park yeah. like you would a lot of the times i remember i i remember seeing this growing up where rollerbladers would get essentially rushed by skateboarders mm -hmm. and it was a full-on brawl out of nowhere for just because of what they were you know rolling around on and i'm like yeah i've always been the guy i grew up with in that culture of skier versus snowboarder you know i'm from utah where my sport is still banned at two mountains and <laughs> i've i've snowboarded both of them by the way but <laughs> i will say i've never had I've never had an ounce of tolerance for it because I was a skier going like, that looks really fun. And as a snowboarder, I was like, I want to still have some of these friends. And, and I would say I have as many skier friends these days as I do snowboard friends. And like, I just have no tolerance for it. I'm like, it's, it's discrimination at its finest and <laughs> take that somewhere else because it doesn't belong here. You know, yeah. I'm always trying to walk between the tribes. Yeah, for sure. And like, 
Dude, there are so many skiers that are insane skateboarders, and there's some snowboarders. Like, I was hanging out with one today at the top of the pipe. He was a rollerblader when he was a kid. Like, he loves it, yeah. and he talks about it all the time. And, like, I, I this probably transcends into other aspects of society, but I hate that, like, a stigma can prevent you from doing something, like, super rad and cool that can literally change your life. But, like, if it's considered uncool, like, you know, fuck that. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, my other comparison. Sorry, sleepy. It looks like you want to jump in there, no, but I was going to say, in high school, I mean, I was a band geek and I was a jock, and I was this weird dude that skated also and like snowboarded, and so I walked between so many different tribes in high school. Like, you know, I, you know, I got along with the jocks. I wrestled, played football, and that. But then I went and played tennis for my third sport, and then. I was in orchestras and in marching band in a bagpipe corps. And so I was like this weird anomaly. And then I hung out with all the weird wow. little thrasher kids that like their big thing was ditching school and smoking weed and, and skating. And I was like, cool, I'm going to hang out with you too, because I like to skate like that, you know, yeah. like still going to go to school why, so I can play sport. That's probably why we get along, Keith. I'll tell probably, you what though, I'm dude. mad. I'm mad that you told us what you played because I wanted Nick and I to try to guess what you played in band, but I guess we can't now. Uh that you're a bagpipe. I didn't, I didn't tell you. I've oh, never you played the bagpipes. <laughs> oh no. okay. So I was in the were, core, you... but I never played the bagpipes. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know so what's in the so, bagpipe core. That's so nerdy, Keith. I can't believe you admit that. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was so anti me wearing a kilt. He was like, my son wears a kilt and wrestles. Hmm. <laughs> nice. And I was just like, get out of here. Like, it's it's cool. Like, my my high school was the Ben Loman Fighting Scots in Ogden, Utah. Go Scots, oh, cool. right? Like, yeah, so we have a bagpipe core. And the only way for me to learn a certain instrument was to take a beginning class in that. Um, but my dad, so I, I, I can say like, I kind of owe a lot of that walking between the tribes to him because my dad, you know, played for the U of O and, um, university of Utah. He was like a middle linebacker. He was a G in, in football. Right. And then, um, but he also believed in art. And so his whole thing was like, you can play any sport you want. I don't care, but you will have an art. And the day you quit the art, you have to quit sports. And I love sports. I'm very competitive and and enjoyed like camaraderie of teams and, and all this stuff. Right. And I'm active. So, uh, you know, my, my art was music. And so I was in all kinds of symphonies from pretty much like fifth grade on, I played, I'll give you guys a hint. I played a woodwind instrument in, in bands. And then obviously I played something else in, in bagpipe core. Um, but I'm gonna, it was my I'm gonna be art. honest. I have no idea. I have no clue anything about it. I'd like to know. I would love to know. And I love the fact that your dad had you doing an art and, and a sport at the same time. I think that that's a, a critical thing. And, you know, I'd like to implement that with my kids as well. Uh, so that's pretty dope, man. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, you know, my kid, we just got him. Well, my dad got him like uh, an electric piano slash keyboard or whatever for Christmas. And before that, it was a drum set. And the drum set actually is an acoustic drum set, not an electric one. So it kind of got pieced out. But I still believe in the art thing. I think it expands the mind in a way that sports just don't really. Um, and I think it gives gives people another way of reading. It's another language. It's it's this whole other universal thing that everybody can kind of relate to. But so in band, I started with the clarinet. I was a clarinetist for a long time. And then I honestly, I started to get kind of bored with it. I got pretty good at it and was uber competitive. So I always wanted first chair. And um, from there, I switched over to saxophone. I played a couple different types of saxes um, and then loved the Barry sax, the bass line of everything. So I went back to clarinet, but played bass clarinet because we had like three Barry saxophonists. So there was really no point for a fourth one. Um, but we had no bass clarinetist, which was the same uh, same part, just on a different instrument. And it sounds so cool. It's like really throaty clarinet. Uh, but bagpipe core, in order to learn... So I wanted to learn how to play the drums. And it was like the one instrument my dad was like, nope. And I understand now why after having a four-year-old with an acoustic drum set, it's just it's horrific. Um but for me to learn the drums, like learn rudiments and everything, the bagpipe core actually had a beginning drum class. And so I signed up for that for as my dad's signature. Um, and then 
I ended up progressing very quickly and becoming a kilted drummer. And one day I went out the house in in a full, you know, I was a kilted drummer, which means I was competing and performing with the bagpipe core. And I, I was leaving in my uniform and my dad was like getting home as I was leaving. I was trying to time it just right. So I was gone before he got there. And he's like, why are you in a kilt and all this other stuff? And I was like, actually, I joined the bagpipe core. And he's like, you're playing bagpipes? I was like, no, I'm playing the drums. He's like, I thought I said no drums. And I was like, you did, but I don't care. I want to play the drums. So that's what I'm doing. And, you know, it was such a cool experience, though. We were really, really good. Got to compete, went to world championships, competed in both professional and amateur category, won the amateur category out of like 150 bands from around the world and took second or third in the professional category out of the best in the world. And there was like 350, 400 bands that showed up. So, um, it was a cool I'm experience, s- man. I'm, I'm so stoked about how excited you are about that. Like, I've never <laughs> once heard you say anything about uh, being in band or orchestra or bagpipe. Uh, I've just never heard that. So I'm, I'm stoked on how excited you are. Nick, did you play any instrument or or have you played any instrument? Uh, no, not really. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't ever been musically inclined. I, I, I always wanted to play percussion um i think drums are sick i love like metal music and so the drums are so insane in uh like rock and metal music but uh but yeah i mean i I, unfortunately like i was one of those kids oh dude band is so lame nerds rock you know um i was one of those kids unfortunately so i don't think i ever like really invested myself and i don't really regret it because i was always like doing sports and stuff but like my friends who can sit down and pick up and play the guitar or do something like that, I'm so insanely jealous and feel so like not included. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be the one t- serenading the whole room right now. Not you. <laughs> like you're the coolest yeah, person right. here right now. <laughs> well, those campfires t- too old. Yeah, the campfires. The campfires where everybody's having a beer and, and, you know, the guy busts out his acoustic guitar, then all the girls kind of just migrate over to him. And you're like, what is the problem here? I was in Hood this summer with a bunch of half-pipe guys, and there's this Canadian guy named Andrew, and he he did that. Like, there there were no females there, but we're all sitting around this campfire. He just picked up his guitar and started playing and singing, too. And I was like, damn this is so freaking impressive and it was so cool and it just and he was like 20 years old you know and i don't i don't and that takes a lot of confidence to sit there and play and sing in front of a bunch of guys macho dudes and i thought that was freaking dope and uh props bro you're never never too old to learn youtube university you're right you know i know i know there's a guitar center somewhere here (laughs) where you live like yeah. i'm sure you could get one get a guitar on sale or something yeah um but yeah yeah i love walking between the tribes i think it's i think it's a cool aspect that not everybody has i know sleep does and i know you do as well nick um and so you know three like-minded people in here chatting right now yeah um sleep you got something Nah, man, I, dude, I am, I'm all questioned out. I, uh, I hit Nick with everything I had, dude. I, I'm just so stoked that you were able to, to jump on with us today, Nick, man. Um, just, just getting to meet you, uh, hear some of your story, uh, has been, has been impressive and, and I can't wait to, to kind of watch you, you know, go through this next journey, a half pipe and, uh, see what, see what, see what comes out of it, man. Um, we're, we're supporting you. We'll get the sassy community supporting you. We'll have to get your girlfriend in there. Have her, have her yeah. join up with us. Uh, it, it's, it's been fun. And, uh, and we got a lot of cool connections in the industry. So yeah, fun. She, she loves anything that's like formatted or a club or organized. Like she's asking me how to do a snowboard trick. And I'm like, just, just go and try it. Like, what do you mean? How do you do it? You just try it. <laughs> And then she's like, she comes back. She's like, so I joined this uh, snowboarding group, uh, Salt Lake City, on Facebook, and I posted in there if um, if anybody has any uh, like documents on how to do my first fifty fifty. And actually, people have responded, and there's some like little instructionals. I'm like, how are we so in love and so opposite? <laughs> Opposites attract, right? Yeah. Um. 
Well, we've got we've got coaches in the sassy community. Just so you know, sassy is for Sasquatch because um, cool. we all we all love love the uh, the unprovable. At the end of the day, it seems like everybody's got a sighting or a story. It seems like, but uh, that's like our big mascot, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got some coaches in there. You know, dude, throw it, send her my way. You know, I'll I'll help her out if she if she wants some. Not like that, Nick. Jeez. <laughs> you gave me that look like what did you say no <laughs> i could i'll help her with some snowboarding if if uh if she's down and you're down i'm always i'm yeah, always yeah. down to totally. you know go rip or whatever or talk to someone yeah. about it just just, um, just create like a 10-step process that takes two weeks on how to do it and she she'll sign up 100%. A couple, a couple, a couple powerpoints yeah exactly. some videos you know yeah. what i mean yeah <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'll, I love I'll, it. I'll literally eat shit like for an hour, but I'll learn it in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> she won't crash once, but she'll have every piece of the dynamics from start oh, to yeah. finish nailed within two weeks. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, Nick, how can everybody fo- follow along with you? You know, I mentioned your Instagram. Give them your page and whatever other socials or whatever you want them to follow along on. Um, yeah, for so sure. That- I'm mostly active on Instagram. Nick Gepper at Nick Gepper. Um, I'm probably going to be more active on YouTube in the future, starting this summer. Um, not on TikTok yet, <clears throat> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm into for showing the journey, and who knows, this might keep on going until it wraps up in Salt Lake 2034. You never know. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I'll be there for it. I'll be there for it. Not as a competitor, but yeah. as a spectator of some sort. Yeah. Dude, well, well, we dude. love it, man. Yeah, thank you very much again for coming on. And uh, Keith, dude, wrap us up, buddy. Yeah, Nick, always a pleasure, brother. When Next time you're in town, hit me up. I'd love to grab a coffee or, or you know, a meal with you. Uh, maybe go take a couple laps as well. Um, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Today's guest was Nick Gepper on Thrash Talk. If you like right. what you're watching, please like and subscribe to, to our YouTube channel and enjoy. You. All right. Thank you guys for doing Thrash Talk. See you later. Later, Nick. Thanks, Nick.